Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Picard edition, and I'm your host and captain, and sometimes Lord and Savior, Michael Flores. Hello, and welcome everyone. If you're a new listener, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck and make sure you give us a rating and review in iTunes as well as Spotify. We do need those. It triggers algorithms that help others find our show. And we need that help because, as most people know, podcasts are all over the place and it's really hard to cut through. Several years ago, it was easier. Now, with the rise of celebrity podcasts, it's very hard to cut through. So please help us. Hello, David. How are you? How's it going, everybody? Okay. So today we're going to be talking about. Star Trek Picard, episode four of season two. Dude, I'm getting more and more comfortable with this series. I'm not sure if I like it still, but the fact that I'm getting really comfortable with it because mm-hmm. I keep worrying. Don't get don't get too comfortable yet, David. Don't stop combing your hair and dressing nice when you see her, you know, yet. Exactly. You know, don't get too comfortable because you don't know if you have her locked in yet. Exactly. And that's how I feel about Picard. We need to put a ring on it first, and then we can be a little more comfortable. And I'm not ready to put a ring I'm yet not ready. on Picard. I no. need I need a few more episodes, a few more episodes, and then I'm willing to put a ring on it and go down on <laughs> Picard as a series. Oh, I would love to go down on Guinan. Well, as long as the representative <laughs> for Picard as I go down on this non-tangible show made tangible by Annie Wershing... I think she may take the top spot from from seven for me. The new Borg queen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my God, there are people listening to our show who usually don't listen to our Star Trek shows because they're not huge Star Trek fans, but they're listeners of our network and they're tuning into Picard. One of them, I want to say is Don Garrett. And uh, he posted something in our private discord channel for our Patreon subscribers. And he's all, is it wrong to think the boar queen is super hot? No, it's not. And I'm like, no, not, it's not perfectly normal, bro. It's, it's really creepy too, because she only has a torso. She doesn't have any arms, That's no right. legs. All right. And dude, the fact, the I've, way I've, that I've, she. I've always been pro handicap, Dave. I, okay. I mean, I'm a human. You're not. Okay. Why'd you have to bring that up? Okay. <laughs> the way, the way, the, the way that she acts too, the board queen looks like, she is thirsty. Oh, she like, is. Like, she knows how to get after it. She too, knows how to get she, after it. Think about it. How many species ha- has she assimilated? And she has taken in all of the sexual knowledge. <laughs> it's all in her brain, David. And Agnes and, did not steal that from her. I know she didn't. And I, I'm like, going, you know, I'm, I, I feel really sorry for, oh, I forgot her name already. The, the one character that we hated in season one, but now we like her. Yeah. Uh, but the doctor. Yeah, Agnes. Agnes. Yeah. Now I'm like going, oh, Agnes, don't let your guard down. <laughs> you're going to get, you're going to wake up next to her butt naked somehow. Oh, wow, David, simmer <laughs> down. Who knows what's going to happen on this show? She's going to probe you. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people that were saying, you know, hey, this, this, uh, maybe they're new Star Trek Viewers, I'm not sure, but there are other comments about the Boar Queen being uh, ultra-ly seductive. And I'm like, well, that's not new. The Boar Queens have always been a bit of a seductress, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, e- even in like a... They're almost like a femme fatale a bit. Remember in First Contact? Oh, yeah. She was like really trying to get under Picard's... Well, do you remember when she blew, when she blew on Data's skin yeah. and, and basically had an orgasm? Come on, that's what that, that was. That's what that was. Yeah. And then, like, the way she treated Data throughout the entire thing, yeah. 
I mean, come on. She she turned Data into kind of like her sissy boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, maybe not that one, but the new one, she can do that. She can blow on my skin if she wants. That's fine. I don't know, man. I, I'm worried. There, there's something wor- like terrifying yet sexy yeah. about this new Borg queen because you don't know if she's going to like kiss you or she's going to rip out her, your throat with her own teeth. David, she's dangerous. <laughs> and that's and that's fine. But I need, I need a little danger in my life. <laughs> you need a little danger. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, she might not have arms and legs, but she's still dangerous. All right. So we better probably get to the actual episode because there's going to be listeners here thinking, so is this all they talk about is Borg Queens and wanting to have sex with them? Who doesn't? Because if we continue any longer, we might as well just create like a spinoff podcast where it's just <laughs> called Star Trek from a holodeck, the Borg Queen edition. And all we do is just talk about the Borg Queen. <laughs> All right. So this episode was directed again by Leah Thompson, who did an excellent job uh, written by Juliana James and Jane Maggs. So this episode has left our minds spinning with what ifs and theories out the ass. There are a lot of things to discuss as this episode was very revealing because this season appears so far to be carefully planned out. There are plenty of aspects included in this episode, David, that serve as clues as well as narrative plants, which we've talked about that before, which the writers could use to circle back to later. That's the biggest takeaway from this episode for me, besides the theories yes, and things that they are alluding to that may end up being there later. And that's why I say these are narrative plants that are fueling my theories, Um, because when a show is fully planned out, Dave, you can do things like this. You can actually create uh, twists and turns that don't feel convoluted because everything's already there. And if you know what to look for, Dave, in the last four episodes... There are so many things littered out, littered throughout that we haven't really got into fully yet. And I think you hit it right on the head. You know, when you have a plan. What? And you know where your ending is and what your story is going to be about. You kind of could give out a good narrative. Yeah. It's amazing. The first plan of action for season two was probably to give Shaban the fucking boot. (laughs) The boot and uh, the finger. We're going to be planning season two, everyone. So uh, what's our first thing we want to do? And everyone just like pointed at uh, Shaban. He's like, uh, Ixnay on Shaban A and kick him out the fuck A. Well, dude, think about it. Think about this. All right. Now. Me and you, the last couple of episodes, have been talking in nauseum of how they've been trying to erase Shaban. But if you, after four episodes, yeah, look at the things that are missing in season two from season one. You're missing the Romulan stuff. You're missing Soji, <laughs> which I feel sorry for because Soji was she was a likable character. She was a likable character, yeah. but her story, unfortunately, just fell flat. Had nothing to do with Picard. David, how many times have we, have we said this? If there's no room for the character, remove them off the board. Yeah. There's no reason to keep them there. This isn't the old days of television where you have contracts with actors for 27 episodes. So if you don't put them in all 27 episodes in some way, you get a phone call phone from call. their agent. Like, hey, you know, you're uh, breaking contract. And uh, it says here that Michael Dorn needs to be in 35 episodes. <laughs> so so he better be in 35 episodes. Those days are done. Yeah. You know, we don't need to abide by that. So only use characters when you need them. And that's one of the top things, in my opinion, that they're doing very well this season is they're only utilizing the characters they need for this specific story. It doesn't mean we're not going to see Soji again at some point. It doesn't mean we're not going to see Elnor again at some point. Yeah. We will see them when we need them. When we need them. And the biggest one, Mike, that I thought about, mm-hmm. especially after this one, the whole golem body has been written out. <laughs> no one's mentioned it. The only people that mentioned it, Q and Guinan. And they basically just like almost... It's almost treated like, oh, yeah, that happened to you, but it's okay. Well, Don't worry about it. Rios. Okay, so I have a feeling there's a lot of people laughing in the writing room at Shaban because did you not pick up 
on what Rio said when he was in prison. <laughs> yes. He was kind of making fun of the robot body yes. and how it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. He, in fact, I think those are his words. Yeah. Don't ask me to explain it. It doesn't make sense. I'm like, oh, it does. You're right. <laughs> I know for a fact when I heard that, I expected you to be in the background screaming that. <laughs> that was them making commentary on last season. I'm telling you, Dave, that's what they're doing. And think about it. It's a bad idea. We knew it from the very beginning. Patrick Stewart knew it was a bad idea. And think about it. Seven? She's not being portrayed as like this femme fatale sexy object. They're letting Jerry Ryan be seven. Listen, if you're sexy, you're just sexy. Yeah. They're letting her naturally be her character. Yeah. Instead of Shea Man, who basically thinks that, you know, she needs to be in the, you know, skin tight outfit. And, you know, that's he, he, all he thinks about. Yeah, He was living out his little childhood, you know, perv m- masturbatory fantasies. He said, I remember when I was little. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was little, I used to whack it to seven or nine. Oh, my God. So now I'm going to make her a lesbian and, uh, and fulfill my childhood fantasies. <laughs> childhood fantasies. There's just no reason for it. At least this season, they're working for it. If you want her to be fluid, which is probably what she is, sexually fluid, I wouldn't even consider her bisexual. She's sexually fluid, all right? So if that's the case, then ha- have us work towards it. We're dealing with the world of Star Trek. I mean, Captain Kirk was fluid. Yeah. So who gives a shit? Gives but at shit. least work towards it. Explain why things are the way they are. Don't just drop it on us. And be like, oh, she's a lesbian now. That came out of nowhere. And and she's holding hands with Rafi, which makes no sense because they knew he they they've known each other for uh, you know all five of minutes. five minutes. Yeah. So all right. So let's get back on track here. Admittedly. This time travel stuff is hurting my head. That's why I don't really like it. But it's really making sense. Yes, it is. But if Picard and his team have been insulated, this is where it gets interesting. If they have been insulated from the effects of the time incursion Uh and the only future that exists in the future that they are running from, then everything has changed in a big way, including any other events in the history of Star Trek where time travel was utilized, meaning none of it ever happened (laughs) at all. And the reason why I bring this up, because it's very important to understanding an element in this episode that made a lot of Star Trek fans, including myself, angry Angry. until I thought about it. It was the simplest thing too. Yes. There was something that dawned on me while I was watching this episode, okay, and why I got mad for about maybe an hour. I got frustrated, not mad, frustrated. I was confused that Guinan did not know who Picard was because we know that Picard had traveled to the 19th century in the Next Generation series and had interacted with Guinan on Earth and Mark Twain. It was a crazy episode. It was uh, titled Time's Arrow, and I believe it was the season five finale, and then the part two was the season six premiere. And dude, it's it's actually a really good, it, it's one of my favorite top 10 episodes. It's a very good episode, and it's creepy as yeah. well. Like the aliens that create the problem, it's very, yes. very creepy. But the episode's titled Time's Arrow, and a brief synopsis just to refresh people's memory. And if there are new viewers to Star Trek, they will now be brought into the fold. And basically, it's about a predestination paradox that occurred on Earth in the year 1893 when Enterprise D crew member, Lieutenant Commander Data, had traveled back in time from 2368 because or I should say became trapped in a temporal vortex and his body separated from his head. Yes. Which remained in a cavern under San Francisco until 2368. In that year, Data's head was discovered leading the crew of the Enterprise to mount an investigation. This investigation led to the very time travel event, which transported Data back in time in the first place, thereby completing the time loop. Yes. A part of this plot included Guinan, and it fleshed out the idea that she had met Picard centuries before her time on the Enterprise, and she had never said anything to Picard because she didn't want to risk 
contaminating the time, the timeline. Yeah. So those were the things that were running through my mind when suddenly Guinan didn't understand or recognize nice Picard, Picard because she should recognize him. Getting back to the time travel stuff, the reason why none of that matters is because none of this happened due to the future being changed. That future never happened. So if that future never happened, then there's no way that Picard and his crew ever actually traveled back in time to meet Guinan. Exactly. And that's why she doesn't remember him. So it takes a little bit of thinking. And I'll be honest, I I had to look it up. Normally, I can figure things out for this show, but the time travel thing was was very difficult for me to completely understand just because it hasn't been spoon-fed to us, which is good. So I went online and I found an interview from Terry Matalas himself, the showrunner, and he specifically explained why, they're, why they are doing this and why Guinan doesn't remember. Yes. And he said, it's very simple. He said it was very simple, but it really isn't if you think about it. <laughs> but his explanation's simple. He's all, that future did not happen because of the change in the timeline. Therefore, he never traveled back in time. And yeah. that's why Guinan doesn't remember. I'm like, okay, well, that is a very simple explanation. But well, if, especially if you watch that episode again in the very end, it's proven that basically she doesn't know, re- remember that because that incident never really happened. Right. It never happened. Yeah. It never happened. To Picard, it still happened. Because they're insulated in some type of Exactly. Loop, which, David, this goes right back to my confidence in this season or my, my slow, my slow confidence. The, the slow building confidence that I have in this writing room because they're not just pulling shit out of their ass this season. Mm-hmm. They are connecting the dots. And- they're connecting some very old dots as well. Yeah. I mean, they're bringing up things that we have alluded to. They haven't quite fleshed them out, but there were moments that they alluded to these ideas in Star Trek The Next Generation. For example, the Allurians and how they have a unique ability to sense shifts in time. This is not a new concept. I believe it was introduced in the Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise. Yes. And that's the episode where Tasha Yar is alive again. Yeah. And then basically, like, that at that moment, you know, Guinan realizes something's wrong because she feels sick. She said, no, she's... She she looked at Tasha, if I'm not There you go. She looks at Tasha and she realizes that she's not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to be there. But she doesn't feel sick. This is the new part. So they further flesh out this idea. And this is all new. And I'm okay with it because I feel like it works. They are, they assigned a name to it, which apparently they never had a name for it. I believe it was, was it Afflict? Is that what it was? Afflict. Afflict? Is that what it was? Afflict? Afflict. Okay, so they gave it a name, and it makes the Allurians sick if the words that were exchanged in a conversation are repeated back to them in the new timeline. So they added a bit more to it, and I don't feel like it messes up continuity. It just explains a bit more and how the... The Allurians work. And I'll be honest with you. These are the alien species. They're the gift that keeps giving. Oh, yeah. And I understand why we very seldom deal with this species. Well, it's because, very difficult. Because you have, they're almost like a, um, what's that that thing, uh, the Greek terminology for uh, basically a divinity or a divine entity coming in and saving the day constantly? Oh, um. Is it a deus ex machina? Deus. Deus Deus machina, yes. Like the idea that these these species can essentially do anything. They live forever. They age how they want to age. Yes. (laughs) You know, they are kind of one of those dangerous species that you need as a writer, that you need to be careful when you utilize them because they can seriously break your show because there seems to be no real rules, you know, that that kryptonite them for a lack of better verbiage. Yeah. Um, but when they do utilize them through Guinan, it always works so well with the show. Well, because Guinan is, has always been portrayed as kind of like that, uh, the angelic figure for Picard, you know, that guardian, Uh, she's very benevolent. She's not, she's not evil. You don't expect her to, 
you know, do anything malicious. No, she's not. And she's not an evil person. That's how that's how she that's why it works when you have a character portrayed like that, because it doesn't bother us as the audience thinking that this character is all powerful and could do anything. Well, they're not gonna do anything evil. <laughs> they seem so, to be almost like pacifists, right? Yeah. In fact, the only one that was bad that we've seen was Dr. Sauron, right? Sauron. But the, also, that whole thing could be like analyzed to death because people will say, oh, Sauron was evil. But I still, uh, I mentioned it in a past episodes. If you think about it, Sauron's not really evil. He was driven insane because he was shown the perfect world he was ripped from the nexus he was yeah. ripped from the nexus yeah. remember it's like being ripped from heaven of course you're gonna go crazy yeah <laughs> you, you would go mad they even said like even Guinan suffered from being pulled from the nexus she says if you go in it's gonna be really hard for you to want to come out want to come out and yeah. so it made sense that you could say that soren might be evil but he's not you know that's why kirk didn't want to come out he's all like you say history says i'm dead who might argue with history? Who, who might argue with history? That was my favorite moment. <laughs> but that's what made the Kirk thing so cool is because, yeah. like, at the end of the day, it showed Captain Kirk is still the hero. He'll come out when you need him. Yeah, but only when he wants to. He's like a cat. <laughs> He's like a cat. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll save the world I'll only the when world. I fucking want to. Is there like, a green lady involved? Like, Hugh, yeah. Hugh would never work with Kirk because he'd be like, yeah, okay, all right. I'll play your game uh, uh, after I take a nap and then uh, I'm going to go bang a couple green aliens. Hey, I see that that torso hanging in the wall. I think I'm going to have fun with that. And then I'm going to make it as if it was my idea to do this entire thing. <laughs> that, that is Captain That's Kirk Captain to a Kirk. That is Captain Kirk. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so unlike Shaban, who wanted to refrain from using established Star Trek references in fear that it would confuse people, uh, Kiva Goldsman and, and Terry Matalas, they have no such hang-up, and that is why they're able to do so much in a little amount of time. Look how much we have already gone through in four episodes, David. How much story we have actually burned through in four episodes. Amazing, isn't it? Because there's no wasted time, Mike. And part of the way they convey ideas and stories is they don't have to worry about all this setup because they're using things that Star Trek fans should already understand. Yes. Whereas Shaban was like, I don't want to do that because it might confuse people. I'm like, dude, the people watching Star Trek are going to understand Star Trek. They are... They're doing the complete opposite yes. of Shaban. Why and, would you neglect? Some, one of your friends said this on Facebook about another show, and I forgot his name now, but it's the guy that's very opinionated. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Jamie? Jaime. Yeah, Jaime. Yeah. He said, we we're talking about another TV show, and he mentioned that he's all, so wait a second. So a writer for a TV show decides to use all of the past iterations of a tv show so that it then helps your story actually make sense and it feels concise and it belongs in the world that you're writing in who would have thought and i'm like <laughs> holy shit that is exactly right pretty much why would you forget things purposely when they're built into the very world you're writing in don't don't reinvent the wheel there's and in, no reason to and in essence the thing that i'm really digging about picard is it is almost challenging you as a Star Trek fan. Do you know why this happens? Well, do you know the episodes that basically it happens in? And then when you have that, this moment, when you have like so many fans afterwards, after I watched it the first time, were complaining about the Guinan thing. And I'm like going, did you guys really watch TNG? Yeah. There because was you should have known. There was a lot of people watching. Yeah. But if you, if you went back and watched... And watched it to the end. Yeah. You would have known that basically that timeline does not exist anymore. I was confused too. Yes. But I also, in my rational mind, I had refused to believe that they would just simply ignore an episode of TNG. I was like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. There's no way. And I even tweeted that out to get the answer first before I found it. I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> Am I seeing something the wrong way? Because I, I, that's why when, I, you, when I, I got the text from you, I didn't answer. Yeah. I didn't answer because I was like going, okay, I'm going to let to see, I'm going to see if he figures this out because it took me a minute, it took me a minute 
to figure it out. But then when I realized that what episode they're hearkening to, and you go back, you realize at the very end, everything reset. So nothing, Guinan didn't even realize that Picard did that. The only person that realizes the adventure is Picard. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, they, they're, everything they're doing is justified either through various episodes of Star Trek that came before, or they're using scientific theory to help us understand certain things. And it, mm-hmm. it helps with the plausibility of certain things like what Agnes said last episode about essentially setting the stage for this insulated loop loop that they're in or bubble that they're insulated from the changes. When she said, I'm not sure whether or not we are uh, inside or outside the causality loop. So they're setting up these ideas before we even get to them, which is how you should write a TV show. And that's why I am gaining more confidence with this team of writers this season, because they're, they're literally doing everything the right way in, in terms of writing. Certainly there's are, there are areas where Star Trek fans could argue and say, well, this isn't that great. But solely in the ways of mechanics, yes, writing-wise, the art or the craft of writing is being done very well this oh, season. very well. Because, like, they're not leaving these big, gigantic loopholes. In their episodes like they did in season one. David, you're giving them too much credit last year. They actually have talent leadership or talented (laughs) leadership this season. And that's the reason why it's so good. Yes. (laughs) But that's. Don't justify. Yeah, I can't. Don't justify. I I can't. Yeah, don't, please. (laughs) So interestingly, this all leads to some big reveals as well. Okay. So Guinan apparently knows of these so-called. Watchers. Watchers. But what she called them is what's intriguing. She said <laughs> they refer to themselves as a type of guardian angel. Dude. Now, this must imply, David, and tell me if you disagree or agree, that we're dealing with. I am the guardian of forever. <laughs> we are. Come on. We are. Come on. Right? We are. Especially the way the character talks. Listen to the, how the character talks. Oh. Yeah. It's it's a oh, bit more we don't characteristics. Qu- we don't quite know how they talk yet because he was going through the 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 people. The people. But if you and, think about it, the way it sounded is very similar. We'll see, David. I am open to it. And I also think that is the direction they're going. Could this be the very season of Star Trek that kind of fleshes out the idea of the guardian of forever. Cause as of now, there hasn't ever been any true explanation. In fact, in the episode itself, the original series where they were introduced, they had described themselves as neither machine or being. I am both and neither. I am my own beginning and my own, my own ending, ending, which essentially is the alpha and omega they're alluding to the fact that they are God, that they are a God. Yeah. I don't think that's the direction they're going in. Well, the, here's then, the thing. Most of those characters, you're looking at Guinan, Q, the guardians of the forever. These are super beings. These are super beings. And yeah, it would make sense that some of those beings consider themselves gods mm-hmm. compared to other beings. I mean, look at how Q looks down at the human race. Yeah. It's a very godlike, you know, viewpoint from Q standards. Absolutely. Point. Yeah. And it makes sense that like the, these type of alien races would be like this, like a godlike being. And it's, and the thing I love dude is the fact that this is, this isn't the first time Star Trek's ran into godlike alien beings. No. So it, it makes sense. Okay. So we also know that the guardians are benevolent. Yes. They seem at least from what we know, they don't necessarily want to get involved in things and they seem to be at times a little hands off, at least in the two episodes that we actually seen them in. In fact, in discovery season three, the guardian said that he went into hiding during the, the time wars, time wars. the temporal wars, because people were trying to take advantage of him and basically gain control over the gate and himself 
in order to, of course, wage war. So he went into hiding. So obviously they don't want to be manipulated. They do care about the timeline to a degree. So it does make sense that they would have watchers or guardians keeping an eye on things across the cosmos. As of now, we only have information that would say that there's just a single guardian, but that doesn't mean there can't be more. Yeah, there can't be more. There, 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 there obviously, more, yeah. there, there obviously can be more. Yeah. So this takes us to the moment where Picard encounters Laris or Laris. Yeah, surprise. Who then opens a portal that looks awfully like a guardian portal. Yes. So I'm going to go out on a limb, Dave, and just say, I I believe we're dealing with the guardians of forever. Not a guardian, but possibly guardians, plural, of forever. And Laris seems to be one of them. And the reason why this is important is because she obviously, this character has obviously embedded herself into Picard's life. Yes. Okay. Now we're taking things at face value. There could be other twists and turns, but as of right now, we could, we could say based on the empirical uh, evidence that she has embedded herself into Picard's life. And it leads us to wonder why, why would she embed herself into Picard's life? And this takes us to the end of the episode. These watchers are said to protect the destiny of certain individuals. So Bacard's involvement, the time we spent reminiscing in Chateau Bacard in the episode, the connections to Bacard's mother, and with how this episode ended, this story seems to supersede simply Jean-Luc Bacard, but seems to be about his legacy and or bloodline. Yes. And I honestly think after me and you talked about it earlier, I really started trying to piece together everything. And the entire second season begins honestly with Picard's uh, monologue in front of the Federation when he's talking about the fact that he is the last of the Picards. His brother and his nephew passed away. That's the why he was forced to go back to the chateau because he had to he felt obligated to carry on the Picard name and the Picard lineage with the uh with the winery. And then when he's in with the Federation, he basically says that when I pass away, I am the last of my uh, of my family. There's no more Picards after that. And they specifically in the story, made sure to emphasize that. Like, that was a, a, an important realization of Picard that takes his story forward. And then we we have the moment that he has with uh, Guinan in the bar where she's like, she's asking, What is wrong? Well, what's on your mind? And he's very morose and he's talking about legacy and everything else and regrets. What happens when Q shows up? Oh, so many regrets, so many wrinkles. My favorite, my favorite thing about it. And then like the whole thing with Picard at this point, I've, we were thinking that basically it's about him, but now the pieces all show it's not about just Picard himself. It's about his family. It's about like, honestly, what all of us as TNG fans have always stated Jean-Luc Picard is a very lonely individual when he had so many opportunities to find the one person in his life that he could fall in love with. He had so many times when as a person, he had opportunities with, you know, Dr. Crusher. He had opportunities with other characters, but he never took the opportunity. Why? Because he, he was married to being a captain of the enterprise. And that was his legacy. That was his choice. And remember, even like in when he, they dealt with the family story storyline in TNG, that was one of the sticking points between him and his actual brother. You know, his brother did not like the fact that his that Jean Luc went into space and left them alone. Why? Because Jean Luc chose that. <laughs> so it's really turning into kind of like this is like what Q said. You're asking yourself a lot of regrets. So let me show you what what happens if you don't choose this path. Right. Yeah. I think the evidence is there. I mean, it does fully back up, you know, our thoughts on this being 
Yes, Picard is the focus, but it's more than just Picard because the woman at the end of the episode and Q's little comments where he was seemingly talking about her. Yes. And he was talking about her in a very similar fashion that he talks in the way that he talks about Picard. Yes. It makes me wonder if they will explain. I don't know if you thought about this yet, David. It makes me wonder if they're going to explain or recontextualize Hugh's fascination with Picard as being more than simply curiosity. What if there's a greater purpose for Q's reasons behind his continued interference in Picard's life? Picard's life. And the continual tests. What if there's a greater purpose behind his intentions? The only thing I'm worried about that is I've always felt, and we've talked about this in a nauseam, that the relationship between Picard and Q was kind of like a a teacher of sorts, a friendly antagonistic type of game. I'm worried that they're going to turn, turn Q fully villain no, because I, he I think wants to do something malicious. To no, I think it's less after this episode, David, I got, I got that. I didn't get that impression at all that he's a villain. In fact, I feel like even more so now he's, He's doing things for a purpose that aren't malicious. I, I feel like there's a greater connection with him as an individual Q and the Picards. And they're looking like they're going to justify the reasons why he's always been drawn why he's always to been him. Drawn to him. And I hope it's that way. Because if anything, David, if they bring Q in, I mean, what a great way to actually make the character really count and yes he's always worked so well in the way that he has worked but what if they double down and still you don't lose any of the greatness behind his original intent but now they just allow us to see a larger portion of that picture and you realize that there's so much more about it than simply i want to have you run through tests to prove blah 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 yeah now it's about I need to have you go through these tests so I can make sure that you are ready for what's to come. What's to come. And your bloodline is important for X, Y, and Z. Well, especially since now this is this is dealing with time throughout the entire series. The cue that is sitting down, right? The cue that is sitting down that was talking to the to the woman in the very end. Is that the same cue that showed up at the chateau? Yeah, why wouldn't it be? Well, or is that the cue that basically before everything? Because remember, Q shows up after he makes the change. Q shows up after he makes the change. I'm confused. What? Why do you mean? You mean it's a different cue? Yeah. Like meaning what? Because he, he, he does be something. Cue? He does something prior to do prior to visiting Picard, and the reason why he goes to visit Picard is because he wants Picard to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, but Q doesn't. You're 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 acting as if Q travels through time. Time is nothing to him. It's all relative. But I I I feel like that would be really really convoluted, especially with all of the other time travel elements. Don't you think that would be kind of confusing? That's what I'm worried about. That's the oh, thing okay. that I was. Trying I get what you're saying then. Because like I'm like going. This is what this is the pro- many problems with time travel is like <laughs> you are you going to explain this cue and then that cue over there right and then over that cue <laughs> yeah. was over there <laughs> yeah so, so we'll see Dave obviously something's going on with Q though that's still the mystery because now we saw him lose his ability to use his power yes which leads me to believe we are dealing with the exact same cue because Q was sick right. Q was sick. So maybe this is leading to that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anything can happen at this point. There's a lot of things already going on in this show that I didn't expect to see. So. And dude, think about this. If it is the Guardians of Forever, mm-hmm. we're seeing a fight between the Guardians of Forever and the Q Continuum. Unless they're working together. Unless, unless they're working all, together. Unless it's all the same maybe they're not working together as a team necessarily, but I have a feeling that Q is doing what he needs to do and the guardians are doing what they need to do and the stories are going to intersect. So we'll see what happens. It is exciting. And I just love that we're having these conversations. And then the God of Shockery will show up out of nowhere. Maybe that could work. (laughs) All right. So Agnes is really interesting what they're doing with her this season. Now I will say, even though I really like what they're doing with her, I do feel like she's almost 
taking Seven's story. Like, yeah. I feel like the interaction she's having with the Borg Queen about loneliness, you know, the idea of of assimilation, cooperation, and connection. Yeah. And how the queen used that to basically get under Agnes's skin because she has now been in her head and yes. she's privy to all of her insecurities and her issues. But that seems like something that she would have. It seems like that's a conversation that she would have with someone like Seven because in Star Trek Voyager, that was an actual issue Seven had. That's an in issue fact, she still has. In fact, she didn't even want to be a part of the human species. If you remember, she almost, in fact, she demanded that she gets re-simulated when mm -hmm. they rescued her because she said that she felt completely isolated alone. And because she was assimilated at a very, very young age, I want to say like what, five, four or five, that she knew nothing else. So yeah. all she knew was that she always had people in her head and she never felt lonely. And when they took all that away from her, it created created tons of mental and emotional anguish because she was now living alone and isolated with her own thoughts. Yes. So that feels almost like a seven of nine story. Now I'm not saying it doesn't work with Agnes. It does. It does. But I almost feel like Agnes could have been another character. They could have just done away with and seven could have easily fit into that role. The, the only, because when I think about that, I definitely agree with you 100% that that is Seven's story, especially since the beginning of of season two where it's obvious Seven has issues about having the Borg implants, being away from the the collective and stuff like that. And she still has, she's still dealing with those traumas of becoming Borg. But then I thought about it, if if the whole scenario that they were put in where, okay, Picard can't jump into the Borg Queen's mind because Picard was part of the collective. And it'd be really easy for the Borg Queen to dominate uh, Picard's oh, mind. She can dominate me. <laughs> so with that logic, then I could see the writer maybe saying, well, I wanted this to be like seventh story, but if I take this route, it doesn't make sense then if... I let seven go into her mind, but seven doesn't get dominated. You're right. I mean, obviously that would, based on that logic, that would, that makes perfect sense. That's, so that, not, that's what I just thought about. Is no, like, you're right. How does it work? So, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. But also you just change that story element and boom, now it works with seven. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> but listen, I'm just being a stickler right now. I don't think it's a big deal. I just feel like this would have been a really good seven of nine story as oh, well. Um, but listen, the actor that's playing Agnes, I forget her name. I, forget her uh, name I don't remember her name, <laughs> but she's doing a great job this year. So I don't mind it, but I, they also seem to be gearing up a different type of story for her. Because well, what's the reasons behind the queen's, Infatuation with her. Yes. And the fact that she even says that, oh, you're cruel. Yes. You know, f you know, fixing me just so that you can take what you need. Yes. We know that Borg Queens like to say a lot of things. Oh yeah. They like to get in your head. They like to manipulate. And, um, that's not anything new. However, she's choosing to use the word cruel and it makes you wonder if there is something a little off about Agnes. I mean, we did witness her murder, her lover <laughs> exactly last season. Yes. She was under the, what the, she was under mental duress. We say, yeah, they say, they say that she got away with mental, uh, alien, uh, mental duress. Yeah. And they say that she got away. That's how she got away legally. Yeah. But in actuality, it's, the whole Agnes thing is really interesting to me because now it's got to lead somewhere. It's right? got to lead somewhere, but it's also Agnes is one of those characters I always felt is more sinister than anything else. Everyone basically, Oh, she's just, a, she's just a goofball type of character. No, look what she did to look what she did to, uh, I think it's Baxter. Uh, I, don't I, know. I forgot what the scientist's name was. 
And the only reason, the only reason that she was connected to him was because he was connected to her research. So she was using him for her research. Well, it, we can assume. Look at your grin, evil grin. <laughs> Tell you. With this writing team this year, I'm open to anything, and it seems like they can make anything work. And just to, just to actually throw things out there, Mike, okay, we saw the Borg Queen in the very first episode, right? Mm-hmm. All in her regala. We didn't see her face. Mm-hmm. Now, all I'm oh, saying. come on. You think it's Agnes? <laughs> Jesus. All I'm saying oh, oh, you is. Know, okay, David, hold on a second. Sometimes your theories are wild. They're wild. But. You don't start a season in that way. Yes. For no reason. For no reason. And not go back to it. Exactly. Number one, they make it a point to introduce a new Borg queen. Yes. Who's faceless. There's no reason for that. No reason. So you're right. It, what if the future of the Borg is Agnes and Agnes. maybe they're slightly different and maybe that's why. They want to join the Federation. And they want help from who? Picard. Uh-huh. And they weren't killing anyone. Exactly. It sounds a little cheap <laughs> right now, but I also could see it could work. And when but there's th- a lot of work to do well, there in is. order to connect those dots. There is. But I mean, when you take a look at the breadcrumbs that the writing team has put out there, it is really odd that the board queen is infatuated with Agnes. She wants to get to know Agnes better. So what if Agnes <laughs> wins that battle and becomes the board queen? Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it done before. I mean, look at Hugh. Hugh was able to break. Hugh did it. Seven did it. Seven did it. But I mean, actually, she can control the board collective. Yeah. So we'll see David. That's a, you need to hold on to that theory because <laughs> that actually could end up being a thing. We'll see. All right, David. So a last bit of things here, just some tidbits. The Star Trek four homage was fun. Singing that, seeing that guy from Star Trek four. You know, it's the same actor. Yeah. They found the same fucking dude. And dude, I love the fact that basically he immediately, when someone yells at him, he turns it down. (laughs) I would say he learned his lesson, but he didn't because technically Captain Kirk and Spock never traveled back in time because that future Wait a minute. doesn't exist. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So technically that is just for our benefit. Yes. That never happened. And he never had an experience where he was Vulcan neck pinched in order for him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. So it, that was fun. I'm okay. I, with, with little with, goofy with, things yeah, like with that. With little moments fun. like that. Cause uh, there's probably people who, Never even saw that. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's see here. Any last bit of things, David, we need to bring up? Um, um, the politics. I see a lot of people complaining about the politics. I saw. Um, yeah, the whole ice thing. <laughs> if you want to, like, be entertained or get mad, it just depends on the mood you're in. Just look at the Star Trek Picard hashtag. Yes. It is just riddled with just anger. Oh, like Picard's anti-police. And the, the, oh, another episode of woke Star Trek. Woke Star Trek. I understand the times that we live in currently. We're, we're in the midst of a culture war. Yes. We are divided. Unlike we've ever been before. Ideological, which is very hard. It's hard to, hard to bring a group of people together when they have such opposing ideological outlooks. Yeah. And that's where we are currently. So you're going to have these people who get mad because you're kind of fed up with things. So even if there are certain elements that have always been a part of something like Star Trek, you have to expect there's going to be people complaining because a lot of people are just fed up with these things being shoved down their throat. Yeah. So I, I understand the initial aggravation, but when you take a step back, and you are a so-called Star Trek fan, you should probably understand that this isn't anything new. Yeah. That they have, yes, there is something to be said, as I've said numerous times, there's something to be said 
about the art of subtlety, but we're not living in subtle times. Yes. That's the difference here. And for one, the issue of immigration, that's a big issue. It doesn't matter. Once again, it doesn't matter what side you, you fall on. Immigration is a huge problem right now. And it's a problem that's not easily fixed. Yeah. Because a lot of it has to do with the very thing that Rafi said last episode. How did a society with so many contradictions, contradictions, <laughs> contradictions. not collapse so much sooner, sooner or so soon? What did she say? Why didn't it collapse so much sooner? It's, yeah. That, that doesn't sound right. So much sooner. Does that sound right? Yeah, whatever. Was that? whatever. You know what? That's fine. We'll just go with that. But it does. It makes sense. So I'm going to speak about this next part academically, <laughs> okay. not politically. Academically. Yeah, academically. Once again, I can get behind the issues of immigration. I understand there are a lot of things that need to be worked out. But they, it was very hyperbolic. They were acting as if Mexicans are being mowed down <laughs> in the streets by the thousands <laughs> every five minutes. Yeah, they disappear. Yeah, when the lady said, oh, you better find him soon because once he disappears, you'll never, never find, find him. him. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you're creating quite the boogeyman there. It's a problem and it's an issue. And listen, ICE probably needs to work on some things. That's not in any disagreement. Yes. But it was very hyperbolic. It is. I mean, like, I get, I get actually going this route and going this route with a character like Rios. It's a big issue in this country right now. It's a big issue. It would feel weird if they didn't address it. And I don't mind it because you know what also, Mike? The thing I tell people is this is, if you're getting angry at this storyline with Rios... You're not furious with the whole, so you must not like the whole story in Star Trek four with Chekhov because essentially that's, this is the story that Rios is following. It's Chekhov's story where Chekhov got injured. They have to go into, they have to go outside of outside in the world to go and find him and bring him home. But that was a different time, David. That was the Reagan era. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. We were but full-blooded Americans back then until we became neutered. The bones of the story, Mike, academically is the same. Are the same. Yeah. Let's give some cultural reference as well. Why did they choose Chekhov? Because he was Russian. What was going on during that time? Cold War. It's it's all the same. It's all the this same. This is not new. And they called him a fucking Rusky, which is not the most PC thing. To they, say. They were trying to drive home a point. Yeah. And, and, and the same thing here in this episode. I've talked in nauseum about how I do not like it when they when writers try to do anything political, right? And at first, you know, just scanning through it, yeah, you could basically see the Rios thing. Oh, they're trying to be woke, yada, yada, yada. But when you look at, like, the bones of the story and the narrative, this fits perfectly where they're going. So it's not like they forced it right onto you and this is our political agenda. No, this is the, what the natural progression of the story has to go through. And also, you have to remember... Let's go right, way back to the very beginnings of Star Trek. And we could essentially look at the premise, Gene Roddenberry's premise for this fictional future yes. was about optimism and a future filled with hope, promise, all that good stuff, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thesis, right? That's his thesis, that after we go through several humps, a third world war, almost the annihilation of humanity, we've almost hit the brink of destruction as a planet, then suddenly we wake up and we realize as a civilization that we must make changes. So that's the general concept behind this fictional world of Star Trek. Yeah. Well, in order to get to that point and to justify the thesis, Gene Roddenberry's thesis, there has to be these types of scenarios. Yeah. Otherwise, the need 
for a future like the very one that's depicted in Star Trek ever since the 1960s. It doesn't justify it. It doesn't justify it. So in order to justify that future that's needed, you have to make sure to continue to drive home the parallels and the controversies and the problems of the modern world. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we sit here and wonder, well, why is there even a future like this? Because life is great. You, exactly. ha- you have to flesh out the problems that then justify and strengthen your thesis, which is the fictionalized world of Star Trek. Yeah. And ultimately, it, that, that utopia that we go to has to start at rock bottom first. The utopia of the Federation would mean dick if they didn't continue to bring up scenarios like this. Exactly. That's why I, my favorite Deep Space Nine moment is when they go back in time with Cisco and they show that during the early 20th century, you know, unfortunately, America is a piece of shit. And there's homelessness everywhere. And, you know, people are, are beating each other up for, for uh, you know, anything that they can find. They even showed that in, in First Contact. Initial First Contact, you know, humanity was on the ropes. The only reason why they actually got hope was because they shot a rocket into the, into the stratosphere to get actually someone to notice us. And... That's the thing that I think a lot of Star Trek fans forget. In order to get Utopia, you have to travel through hell. Yeah. Plain and simple. And if you don't depict that hell. And if you don't depict that hell. Then the entire concept of Star Trek unravels. Yeah. (laughs) Then what's the point of Utopia? Yeah. That's why I think it's silly. Like, just look at this logically. And I'm I'm not trying to backtrack on what I said a few moments ago. I do feel like... The political commentary on immigration was a little hyperbolic, but I understand the point. Yeah. And it does absolutely work. And it helps emphasize basically during that time, you know, the during the time we live in, it's a, it's fucked. It's fucked. Do you not think the world is fucked right now? Then if you don't, then your head is in the sand. Exactly. And you're part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, Go ahead and bring this show to an end. But first, we must do our final thoughts and our RMD scores. David, go ahead and start. Keep it simple and brief because we are pushing on our time limits here. We're pushing. Okay. We're pushing over an hour already. Well, my score for this one is a relatively high score. I gave this episode a 90. Okay. It's another strong episode, which has me <laughs> really surprised. You know, I'm waiting for that cliff to fall off, but don't, don't, don't the, say that. The writers have proven that there are, are they're, they're gaining more momentum and basically showing that, hey, we know what we're doing. And especially when you actually take a step back and see that basically they're trying to pay homage to a lot of Star Trek mm-hmm. and bringing in a lot of the history and making you actually think, hey, do you remember this time? You don't. Maybe you should go back and watch the old episode. It, it really <laughs> is kind of an advertisement or a promotion of past Star Trek yeah. episodes. Yeah. I mean, think about the characters. You're you're bringing in Q Guinan, Picard himself. Then you bring in like stuff of Guardians of the Forever. You have the Seven of Nine the stuff. Seven of Nine stuff. Yeah. All that stuff is harkening back to Star Trek's history. Yep. So I think it's a really strong episode. I'm really excited to where it goes. I have my own crazy theories. I'm thinking about the Borg Queen and also... That's a good one, David. That's your best theory you've had this season so far. And I'm thinking about Michelle Yeoh. I would not... I'd be cracking up if she showed up. Well, she could show up, but she would be old if we were to base this on Enterprise uh, continuity. Yeah. Wait a second. Hold on. She got sent back. Wait, but she didn't. David, she can't be here. Think about it. That future didn't happen. So she can't show up, Dave. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. You have to remember everything we've seen, all iterations of Trek that have, have, delved, that have delved in the time travel, it's never happened if because that happened. future never happened. Yes, not yet. So, okay. It'll be interesting what they do. <laughs> Your grins, David, when you're talking about theories. it's Dude, the time travel thing is winning me over slowly. It's really winning me over. <laughs> This season, yes, but please, other people out there, don't get any ideas, all right? Time travel is a very hard thing to do right. (laughs) 
Yeah, so we'll see what happens, Dave. I'm excited for this season. I'm giving it a 90% as well. We're just about halfway through the season already, and there's no red flags yet Mm -mm. at all. There was something else I was going to say before we close out, but I forgot. So I'll bring it up on our next show if I remember. I think the only thing that I would have to say that the only thing that is missing in this whole messed up equation, dude, is if they brought in the traveler. Because the traveler deals that's, with David, time. That's split. too much. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> that's when that's when you know who makes his final guest appearance. Never write for Star Trek unless I'm with you. Unless, unless we're partners. I can say, David, that's a horrible idea. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> All right. So this brings us to the end. I want to make sure everyone finds us on Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital Pledge and get more Star Trek from the Holodeck content every single month thank you david thank you live long and prosper i couldn't help but notice your pain my pain it runs deep share it with me end simulation